could join the podcast oh sweet people want to know how he is sweet but <laughs> and and they can't see him but he's doing great <laughs> has many things to chew on and lots of wires to traverse as we <laughs> podcast in our living room just quiet aside from the dog emily i'm very excited about today's conversation with you. No, <laughs> Thank <kidding>. you. Thank <laughs> you. I appreciate it. And I'm excited to talk to you too. Okay, How's life? What's going you on? I talked about your director POV. Yes. Um, but one, this is our first micro programming release of season 12. Yes. Which this is our second year doing micro programming. And I think it went quite well. I think it does. And I think we learned a little bit from last year with micro programming. I actually think given all the twists and turns of this year's festival, this one was always set up as a conversation with Jack Bender about directing, but a lot of our other longer, larger, fuller panels became micro programming. And it was kind of cool to see them condensed down into a specific subject, talking to just one or two people. Do you want to give a a bit of the definition for how we deem microprogramming? Ever evolving, but usually it's 30 minutes, which we are allowed to go over, but 30 minutes, a shorter time period in smaller rooms, up to like 40 people with two, one to two people. I think one time we've done like three on the panel, but really it's the idea too that you're focused on a very tight subject. So mm-hmm. as opposed to being like a couple of weeks ago, we released AI and it has a lot of different points of view on it and it's longer and more sort of complicated. This is a directing conversation with one person just talking about that one thing. Last year, we did something similar to this with Tommy Shlami. He was specifically talking about the pilot of Manhattan at that point. This is more just directing point of view with Jack Bender. Yep. Yes. Which is very cool, especially for these conversations because you feel you're in much smaller rooms and we like for all of our panels to feel like everyone is having a conversation together. That's part of when we program and when we figure out who moderators are and who panelists are, that it feels not just people are talking at you, that it's a group conversation, but this even more so feels like it's a room of people having a conversation being maybe led by one person, but it's, you can make eye contact with everyone in the room, which feels very nice. Yes, I agree. Introducing the micro panels was always fun to just, yes, to see everyone's eyeballs. (laughs) There Um, is a little bit, which you'll hear a little bit of, do I need to use this mic? Do I not need to use this mic? (laughs) And fortunately, Anthony, our podcast producer was in there saying, you need to use that mic. Yep. We're recording this. You need to hear it. Um, I, for those that don't know, Jack Bender has been around for a while. He was attending the festival for an MGM Plus show called From, which we did a panel on and we'll release. But he also has done Game of Thrones, Alias, Felicity. The Sopranos. The Sopranos. Lost. Yeah. Alias. All of of the things. Many, many, many Um, things. Yeah. But I think... He also started as an actor. He did, which there's a lot that I learned in listening to this. So I think there's cool things to be revealed. One, just about his artistry. And he's also a painter and how he talks about art, which is very cool. He comes at this from a lot of different points of view 
to create his director POV, which is really nice and fun. That sounds very nice and fun. And now I want to look at, does he sell his paintings? I don't know. That's a good question. I recently learned that Toby Huss, the actor, is apparently a very good painter. And he sells his paintings and I kind of want one. So maybe we just collect TV people's paintings. I do like this idea. Why not? I like that idea a lot. I also love in this, which I believe happened in Tommy's panel last year that one of the actresses from Manhattan was mm-hmm. in the sitting audience. in the audience and there was a special guest in this audience from one of Jack's shows does, and I just said from not on purpose <laughs> does the special guest reveal themselves yes the they do Great. yes they do which is always really fun and a I think the special guest was trying to fly under the radar but you're in a room of less than 40 people yeah, and you you're not that. an under the radar person you can't do that um, I do see on your notes for this, uh, the phrase damn delight. <laughs> I know he is. I was just listening to it. I'm like, you're just uh, a damn delight. all of our panelists this year. were so phenomenal and so amazing. And every time I listen to one of the panels or think about memories of meeting them or hear our staff talking about meeting them, they were just all so nice and wonderful and ready to share and talk about this panel only being 30 minutes. It's definitely at the end of it. Both Jack and Michael Schneider, who moderated it, are both like, oh, Time is We're up. Done. We're done. Can we keep going? We do need. Did somebody say yes? Because we do give. Them yes, a I do. Yeah, I do think there was. <laughs> a, yes, you sure. can hang out for a little bit longer. Yeah, we can go like ten minutes over because we don't overprogram those. So you don't have to like get out of the room and get back in. It's like yeah, a bit more flow. Well, I'm gonna let them get to it. This can just be a quick intro, but listen to Jack Bender and then go watch his shows. And maybe now I'm gonna look up his paintings. I know. Yep. <laughs> I don't have a. I don't have a website for those. So you just gotta Google yeah. it. Um, As you said, this is moderated by Michael Schneider of Variety. Enjoy. Hello. I like this is a very intimate room. We yeah, don't need nice. mics, but uh, no, we don't. But uh, yeah, I, 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 they're probably they're recording it for later, yeah. so we probably should. <laughs> yes, uh, this one doesn't have a switch, but I guess it's on. It's on. Yeah, it's yeah. On. we are recording. Yeah, you are recording. Yes. Oh, yeah. thank, you. thank you. I know. Thank you. <laughs> I just gave them a heart attack by saying <laughs> it's all good. Yeah, no, we don't throw them in the water anymore. We have the mics. Yeah. Well. Jack, uh, we'll talk obviously about your amazing directing career, but I do want to begin with your acting career. Take me back to, uh, you mentioned you're on the fourth episode of All in the Family. I think it was the fourth. It was season one. <laughs> it was season don't forget, one your, don't forget your mic, Jack. Oh, my God. <laughs> so it was, uh, and what was amazing, and I realized that that, it's such a more crowded freeway in terms of the amount of shows out there, uh, how you get to be on these shows. And uh, I remember walking into the head of CBS casting, called my agent and said, we got a role of the hippie who comes to and drives Archie crazy. He's Rob and Sally's friend. He's the guest star and blah, blah, blah. And I think Jack would be great. So I go into CBS, park my car, walk in, and uh, you're going to Norman Lear's office. I walk in, Norman Lear's sitting behind his desk at the, in this little office. And he says, yeah, I did this pilot. It's our third time. The point is, there was no casting tapes. There was no five <laughs> casting directors and five exec producers who need to see you before 
you know, I would have seen Norman Lear or he would have seen my tape. And I walked in and read the scene with him and he went, yeah, no, it'll be great, you're good. Okay, fine. <laughs> and, and I did that and, okay, but here's a very funny story. You want me to do this one? We like funny stories. <laughs> well, I set it up as being funny. But... <laughs> so, I don't know, okay, so. How, Danny Thomas, okay? Uh, probably very few of you here remember a show called Make Room for Daddy, which was his mm -hmm. original, then Make Room for Granddaddy. Okay. <laughs> so it's the 70s, and I'm like 18 or whatever I am, and, and my best friend John Ritter and I are going out for all these roles. Um, may he rest in peace. Mm -hmm. And um, so uh, Richard Crenna, the wonderful actor who's producing, he had a low year, I guess, and he's producing Make Room for Granddaddy. So I go and meet with Richard and he says, yeah, no, you're great. Your hair and blah, blah, blah. You'll be great. We'll rat out your hair, whatever. So this will be great. You're the, you're Angela's date and Danny isn't sure about you because she kind of looked like a hippie. <laughs> I said, okay, great. So he gives me the script. I look at it. He said, okay, let's go read. So we walk in. Danny Thomas is there and he goes, um, hi, yeah, hi, 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 with your hair, but no, I guess we can rat it out and make it bigger. And I go, sure, absolutely, no problem, Mr. Thomas. And he says, okay, let's read. So he says, I start at the piano, and then the doorbell rings, and I go to the door, and I open the door, and I look at you, and you're standing there, and my line is, hello, Mr. Thomas, I'm here to pick up Angela. <laughs> and he goes, okay, and I'm looking at you, and, and you say, hello, Mr. Thomas. I'm here to pick up Angela. Well, we'll fix that. We'll change that. Uh, but it's fun. And, and I don't say my first line. And then Richard Crenn is looking out the window at this point, because I guess he's used to this. The next thing I know, the next line, I'm supposed to say, he says to me, you'll have her home by 12. Point being, we get to the end of the scene, and I realize I should just shut up. <laughs> and I'm listening to Danny say, read my lines and say, yeah, okay, well, that's fine, but maybe we'll change that. That's okay. And he's reading the lines and he gets to the end and I walk out the door and I say, and my last line is Mr. Thomas, I promise I'll have her home by 10.30. And I don't say that line and he says, and then you say, Mr. Thomas, I'll have her home by 10. Well, maybe we'll make that 11 or something, I don't know. <laughs> and then he goes like this, okay. And you walk out the door and he goes like this with his half glasses. Yeah, yeah, great, perfect. <laughs> and I realized it was exactly like he heard it because I didn't say a word. <laughs> so those were some of the more bizarre stories. But nevertheless, yeah, I did a lot of guest stars in TV. There were campus radicals in those days. I was going to say, it sounds like a lot of hippie roles. So as the hippie roles dried up, you, you had to find a new one. That's it, exactly. And, and campus radicals. <laughs> yeah. I, I imagine, though, sort of your, your acting background informed a lot in your directing, that, that you do have uh, the ability to sort of understand actors where they're coming from and, and does that sort of did, did that sort of make it an easy transition into directing well yeah and I directed in the theater before I started doing any well I was supplementing my income doing both actually when I was an actor playing hippies but um, yeah I definitely have an understanding of what actors go through um, when you're working with brilliant people like Harold Perrineau back there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, stop sneaking in the back there. Try not to be seen at the back. Please don't get down. 
the hat blends in with the paint on the wall. He wants to make sure I don't tell him what it's really like to work with him. Uh, but I've been fortunate enough to work with him many times, and he's one of my good friends, which is a real gift. Um, and we'll get into from uh, soon. But, but I will say that when you're working with brilliant actors, I've learned over the years, the less you say sometimes, the better it is. And I was at the Sundance Institute the first year, believe it or not, and the great, late, great Sidney Pollack mm. when, said, you know, I can't tell you the amount of time when they were looking at the little film I had done, and he and Robert Redford, it was quite a crowd, and he said, uh, I can't tell you the amount of times I've screwed up a scene when I suddenly felt I had to direct. Mm. And then I'm talking to the actors, and suddenly we're into conversations, and the clock is ticking, and it's getting to be complicated in a geometric pattern, because what the hell were we talking about 10 minutes ago? And I, I really have learned over the years to, when you've cast it right and you work with great people, you say what you need to say when you need to say it, and when you don't, you just say thank you. Great. And people like Harold, and, and yet there are times where saying something will help, you know? And um, so it's a fine line, but it definitely, I think it's a gift. Certainly for me, it's, it's something important that I know how to do. Uh, I've been there, I've done that, and uh, yet, so yes, the answer is absolutely, it has informed what I do. Yeah, and it seems like it's, a, it's an easy transition for, for some folks. And, and was there a moment when you realized this was more the path that you were destined for? Well, I was always somebody who was very visual. I was a painter when I was a kid, and I still am. And I guess as a person, sitting back and watching the picture is much more who I am than being in it. Um, and when I was an actor, I was always a little self-conscious. I was kind of looking at the camera and imagining what I looked like, which wasn't always the picture I wanted to look like. <laughs> so the point being is that I think that my nature is definitely to, to sit back and help create the painting and set it up and, and work with the actors and help them, you know, discover it. And I've also learned over the years, the more, the more it you, as a director, I do a lot of homework. I read the script a lot. I come up with ideas and transitions that I wouldn't have had on the set. And yet I also, the best stuff happens on the set. And I have found the best thing about getting older and having done it for a while, you don't turn into a hack. Hollywood may think, you know, you've turned into a hack sometimes. But actually, if you're still passionate and you care, and you're lucky enough to do things that you love doing like I am, then you've only gotten better. You're a better person, and a better director, and a better exec producer. What was what was that sort of uh, you know working doing doing features and then sort of segueing to, to television? Uh, what was sort of that process for you? Well, I didn't do a lot of features, and I basically was under the wing of a genius named John Hausman, who was Orson Welles' partner and produced. A movie called Citizen Kane. And John, oh, that little thing? Yeah. And he was uh, Professor Kingsfield uh, because Jim Bridges, who was a mentor of mine, um, Jim Bridges wrote and directed The Paper Chase, and he was also a houseman kid in the theater. He learned from him, and I learned from John in the theater, and 
So basically, um, uh, what was the? Sorry, I got under townhouse sorry, and townhouse going into you're starting in features, but then yeah. you kind of quickly moving to television. Correctly. So uh, so pretty much, I started off from the theater and I got into television, and then did a few little movies along the way. But for the most part, my career has been in television, and as television has changed, it's only gotten better. You know. The writers are striking because they're no more, for a good reason. There are no more 22 and 24 episodes. Harold and I did that on Lost. And, but I don't think either one of us would say the 10 episode arc is not better. Right? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, because it's in terms of money and a way of life, you know, you get on some of those shows that are more cookie cutter and last. 22, 24 episodes, like a lot of network shows, and some can be very good, but it's absolutely um, the 10 episode, 8 episode thing has changed so much, which is why so many people from films are now doing that, because you still get the unique episodic storytelling where you can really take character time to build characters, write characters, direct and act, um, and at the same time, so I didn't my segue was more from the theater to yeah. television and then occasionally popping out, but, you know, usually television. Well, when you started in television back in the day, yeah. director, directors were still mostly, uh, you know, sort of one-off, you know, directors for hire. Uh, yeah. They weren't really a part of the show. They came in, yes. they did their episode, they were gone. Yes. Uh, and so, so, you know, you've watched that change yes. and you've been kind of at the forefront of yeah. becoming that executive producer slash director and right. much more a part of it yes uh, how would you sort of describe that evolution what it was like in the beginning and how that evolved well it's funny because it was never my nature and on the first television show i directed which was the series the paper chase um the when i would direct the episodes uh the editors would put with scotch tape their name and director jack bender underneath it which I didn't realize, I was kind of complimented. I was young and naive. I didn't realize they thought I was a pain in the ass. And why was this episodic director coming in the damn editing room when all the editors had to do was show it to the producers? The, editor, the directors would go on to the next episode and would never see the cuts. I would, you know, go in and do every cut with them and they just, some hated me and some tolerated me. But my nature was to stay and be involved. I was never one of those walk away guys. And so graduating and having the opportunity to become an exec producer, which um, I did and was, and Hawaii was a unique experience because we were over there making the show. And the showrunner exec producers, aside from me, I was the director exec producer, and running it there, they were in LA. And probably most of you have read about some of the discomfort of that situation, which I was oblivious to, I really was, uh, because we were on this island making the show. And you know, we had our issues and we'd get into arguments like everybody, but basically it was very, um, the being an exec producer, and I will get into from because it's a very unique situation. And Lost was the first time I remember going to this event at, at some, you know, maybe it was, I forget where it was, it might have been a UCLA 
television and film or something. And we all went there season one or something. And we got out of the car, parked the car, and there were all these fans standing around. And I was walking in with my wife and they were yelling my name and I was going, why are they yelling my name? <laughs> and it was like, Yo, Jack, Jack, come sign this, come sign this. And I went, did they know I'm the director, exec producer? <laughs> and it was really the first time as a director in television, you know, sometimes with TV movies, it was good they didn't mention your name. They weren't always the most complimentary. But there were times where it wouldn't have hurt if they mentioned my name. And But Lost was like one of the first times, and then the studios start calling, and they're, you know, they go with a, they want you to do a feature, because suddenly it's cinematic. And um, so that was the first. Yeah. And, and I've kind of been very fortunate to only get into situations since then that afford me the possibility of creatively being very involved, as I am with Front. Uh, yeah, and, and so, so talk a little bit about that and sort of being in the room and, and being able to sort of set a tone and, and, and being a part of that process. Well, it's a unique situation. Jeff Pinkner, who's our official showrunner, uh, John Griffin, who created the show. Um, and when I got invited to do the show, I read it and, and talked with the guys about various things I thought that possibly could change, etc. And we all really were excited by each other's ideas. I was excited by the script. Um, and then sort of it continued from there once we started making the show. It was always, the, and, and John Griffin, this was the first show he ever created, and he'd been at it a long time. And Jeff and I took him under our wing, not as a writer, because he's a pretty damn good writer, still is, but as somebody making a show. And we just started the three of us jamming about really essential things in the show um, that find their way in. Um, one little example is played by Harold. Um, they had written a music box in season two. And okay, and then I, th I thought of my, but not what kind of music box. And so our prop master in Halifax, who's brilliant and a little just twisted enough, <laughs> um, says, okay, well, and I said, well, my sister had this little ballerina, it's kind of classic, let's do a little sort of sweet little ballerina tune and have a ballerina, but let's ever have only one leg, break a leg on the ballerina just because it's from, and it should be a little twisted, you know, however it got broken. So they loved that idea. We do the scene, we're shooting it, our DP is brilliant, we're, getting, we're shooting a lot of stuff to tell the story of Boyd discovering this music box and this ballerina. I'm so thrilled with what we get and Harold's performance that I told Jeff and John, wait till you see this stuff. The ballerina can't be gone. Because at that point, it was kind of a one-off where this weird thing happened. And I said, he's got to deal with the ballerina. There's something there, I know it. Next thing we know, they get excited by that. They write it. They could have said to me, no, we've got this ABC coming and that'll just get in the way. But they embraced the idea and they wrote the shit out of what his next confrontations were going to be. 
So that was, that's just an example. Not that the idea was initially mine, that's not the point, because they come up with a lot of stuff that I will take and we will take somewhere else or not, or just do what's written because what's written is right and great. But there's a real collaborative spirit which carries through before we lock the shows, we all look at them, I may cut them and then we recut them and work and work and work. And so it's a very collaborative threesome, as is our set. Yeah, and I was going to say, because you have worked with a lot of these folks in the past, that yeah. there, there is that history with, yeah. with Harold as well. Yeah. So, so is there sort of a shorthand? Is there a, a trust that comes with that? And, and how does that sort of lend itself to your process as well, a director? Yeah, well, Jeff Pinkner, Pinkner and I go back to Alias and Been Lost, right? <laughs> um, and, uh, and uh, yeah, so they, they go back to that with me. And so Jeff and I have a shorthand, definitely, but we never worked as intimately. You know, he was one of the writers in the room of Alias, and most of my conversations were with J.J. Abrams, and then occasionally seeing Jeff or whomever, and we talk about stuff. On Lost, it was the same, because we were on that island, and they were suffering the writer's room, apparently. Um, uh, but we won't get into all that. Um, and... Um, so yeah, there is a shorthand, and there's the trust, which has evolved out of this. I mean, we can disagree, occasionally we rub each other the wrong way, and I'm very quick to apologize if it's my fault, they're very quick to apologize if it's their fault. In fact, something funny. <laughs> Again, but this is short. Um, we're shooting the first season, and it was the, oh, it was early on, we were doing the Matthews family in that RV before it crashes, right? Shooting in that set, which was brilliantly executed by our production designer, Matt Likely, who's in Halifax and did the lighthouse, and he's just a genius, and his team. So they do this great set, which is claustrophobic and a pain in the ass to get in and out of, especially <laughs> with our young actor who's supposed to have a pull through his leg. And we're shooting quite a few days there for that story. And John, who's very, he was, a, he was an actor, John Griffin, he was a theater guy, so he's really understanding of the process, and he rarely will be on the set when he's not writing, going, gee, what if we try this? But when he does, it's usually a great idea, which I'm thrilled to do. If anybody has a good idea, I'm thrilled. So it was one of those days, getting on and off the set, I think I bumped my head like half the crew did on the little ceiling, Whatever it was, I'm getting off the set, and i just done another take, and John says, uh, listen, you know, I, I was thinking, it, and I said, you know, John, I don't have time right now, I, I just got to get away, I've been on that, well, and he went, okay, okay, and I said, and I'm not used to having the writer on the set, and I walk away pissy, and John stops, offended, he goes, am I? just the writer on the set, I kind of created this show. <laughs> <laughs> and he, as we do, came up to me later that day and he said, you kind of hurt my feelings and offended me. I said, why? And he told me, I said, oh my God, you're right. I said, so the joke was, is the writer on the set again? That would be a joke. <laughs> uh, but he called me on it, rightly. And he wasn't sure, because it was his first time being on the set of anything he'd written. 
let alone created. So he didn't quite know, but kind of had a feeling I shouldn't call him just the writer. <laughs> so, um, and our relationship has only only gotten better. But um, yeah, to be fair, you had to wrap before sunset because we know what happens. And that is my segue now to open it up for questions. <laughs> All right. Um, you directed a teeny tiny episode of Alias known as Phase One. Um, and is that the two-parter with Quentin Tarantino? No, that was The Box. Also oh, The Box! And Ricky Gervais On Honestly, talk about okay. any episode of Alias, but truly yeah. Phase One is the one that ended with um, Sydney and Bond kissing and you were circling the cameras around them. And then it, it um, uh, Francie is the one um, yeah, yeah, she, the where you, you reveal that there's... She's watched, yes, yeah. exactly. Um, by the way, that circling the camera thing, you, you can't do it anymore. I mean, it's just, you can't. Um, it's too boring. But it served, it served its purpose. And, um, you know, it's funny, when I started in television, a long time, because I was a theater director, and I was doing a show called Eight is Enough. <laughs> you were like three. <laughs> and I was doing this enough, and they... They, um, and my first few shows did all these TV cliches because I was afraid, having never done TV, it wouldn't look like it even belonged on TV. It wouldn't fit. So I was doing like these zoom outs from a bowl of fruit at the kitchen table, right? <laughs> and then you see the family sitting around. All these TV, <coughs> stupid, cheesy stuff that was done then. All that stuff, and and which made me segue from the circle. Um, and uh, a friend of mine, who's a film director, was watching it and said, "I I, I turned it off in the middle at that point because I thought it was a commercial for fruit." <laughs> <laughs> so in any case, yeah, yeah, I all my episodes, Alias, I had a great time doing Quentin Tarantino. And Ricky Gervais, after winning for The Office, came to our came right to us. It was hilarious. We had so much fun. Um, yeah. Maybe it's time to bring back some of those TV cliches, though. Everything full, comes full circle. <laughs> yeah. Very interesting. Good idea. Right here. Uh, yeah, you've talked a lot about the director slash EP role. I wanted to ask you about stepping outside of that to do that one Game of Thrones episode. Very emotional, a lot of stuff going on there. Mm -hmm. How was stepping back that? Well, it's interesting, because... David and Dan had asked me to do the show from the beginning, where I went, what is it? And they said, oh, it's da -da -da -da, and dragons, and, da -da -da, and how long do you have to be there? Well, they want you to do two shows, so you'll be there for a few months. <laughs> and, and it's in Belfast. I went, not Dublin. It's in Belfast. I went, and I was very busy doing probably some miniseries that no one saw or something. <laughs> so I went, no, I can't. And no, I don't think so. And then Game of Thrones was on, and it became Game of Thrones. And they asked me one or two other times, and really the timing was right, because it's a big time commitment, until I think it was the fifth season where I went, and they wanted me in particular to do that episode, Hodor, Hold the Door, which was a brilliant script and an iconic episode, which I was very fortunate to get. Um, and because I'd done this episode on Lost, called The Constant, <laughs> which 
can I say this? This is really tooting our horn. Yeah. <laughs> Toot away. Toot away. I think it was Entertainment Weekly or some magazine did the 100 best episodes of TV. What was this, about three years ago, two years ago? Mm-hmm. I don't even know what it was. So I'm very quickly looking through the list, and I'm not hating. I know, oh, geez, there's nothing. I'm thinking, okay, I get down, and some of the Sopranos, no surprise, some of... Um, there was an alias or whatever it was. And now we get into the 20s. We get 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. The, first, the constant was considered the best. And I went, oh, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I said, I love being able to say, number one television episode ever. And I said, I don't think that's true. It's like they say, the Daily Mail said that From is too scary to watch. <laughs> they can't go to sleep. And I'm going... I'm really proud of our show, and I think it's great. But is it the scariest? I can't say this, but I should. I, I should say, shouldn't say this. It's not the scariest show any of us have ever seen, or the scariest movie, I don't think, I've ever seen, even though I think it's brilliant. <laughs> and scary enough, and really good. But, so... I segue to the number one TV show. Show a little respect. <laughs> but I don't know what got me. I, I went somewhere else talking about, oh, oh, it's Game of Thrones. And it's a really good question because when they asked me again they, to do it, I actually was available for a period of time before Mr. Mercedes started, which is a show I'm very proud of and not enough people watched. Um, it wasn't your fault. It was direct TV. So, so um, so I decide, my wife says, you got to go do it. And I'm going, uh, you know, it takes me a while to decide. And my agent, one of the times the agent says, go do it. And they're right. So I go do it. Do you know how long I was there to do two episodes? Five and a half months. Do you know how many days I had to shoot two episodes? How many days? You want to guess? Well... Normally it would be what, like well, tw- from is ten to yeah, no, yeah, eight to twelve episodes days I most. Say so, so it should be ten, ten days an episode. But for oh, Game yeah. of Thrones, I'm sure it was like two months an episode or something. Uh, you're not wrong. I, I was the, I shot fifty six days. Wow! And they kept saying to me, "We're done." And at like at two in the afternoon, I said, "Well, I just had." two scenes with this brilliant DP. We shot every shot we wanted to shoot. I gave the actors, if ever they wanted another take and I was satisfied, I always give actors another take. Of course, is there anything, and I said to you know, one of the actors, is there anything you want to do? And they went, no. <laughs> <laughs> we usually flog it to death and we're here till night. I said, well, okay, well, whatever, it's great. So, um, but when I went, I thought, what the hell am I going to bring to a party that's the biggest show on television right now in their fifth year? I'm going to go up to every one of these actors, if I should have any notes, and they're going to say, who the F are you? <laughs> and that's, I fear, the way it would be maybe on American television. If from, if we decide and. MGM Plus and everybody decides in Amazon that they want five seasons for us, hallelujah, but I guarantee you none of our actors would do that. But on a lot of episodic TVs, when I did episodes, and I won't name some, it was 
who the F are you to tell me? I've been doing this character for two years, and I know, and it was like, one time I went from directing the late, great Jason Robards in a Lincoln movie, I shot in Atlanta. Oh no, here, it was here. And the experience of working with a genius like him, it was so extraordinary and gratifying. And he kept saying to me, Jack, just don't let me, he was playing Lincoln, he said, don't let me be happy. Mm. And I said, coming from Jason Robart. <laughs> so in any case, I thought, this, what am I going to say to the production designer that that person doesn't already know? So I went there and I found that A, everybody was really open. I got to do some stuff they hadn't done before, like the traveling show that we did that kind of spoofed Game of Thrones, which was really fun. And I brought back some of my old theater tricks. And I found that the actors were totally open. And if ever I had a note, they wouldn't say F you, they would, or look at me like F you, they would say thank you. And I thought, wow, that's the English theater actor. <laughs> and that's also the fact that that ensemble, even though there were stars to that show, they never worked every day because they were in this place and they were in this place. So nobody felt like I'm the star and I'm on the set. And and it was a very gratifying experience. I'm so glad I did it. And they were great. Yeah. But I did worry. Why? How can I do this? What am I going to say? We have time for one more question. So Really? You, yeah, I know. We're already <laughs> running out of time. So oh, shut up. We've got <laughs> Hi. Can you talk a little bit about your work as a painter? And how, like, how much time you get to spend painting? And what's interesting you right now? Are you a working? painter? Kind of, sort of. Yeah, it's, it's all mine. <laughs> uh, I've been painting since I was a kid, and it's very much a part of what I do when I'm not directing. And sometimes when I'm in between episodes, I'll throw paint around in Halifax. Um, it's, it's one of those wonderful things. I find that when being a storyteller, I feel my paintings are also stories. Um, and... Like when I was a little kid, I would make up rides that I would take neighborhood kids on and stuff. And so taking an audience on some kind of ride or a viewer has always been something I love doing. And I feel that when I'm watching actors act and watching a scene happen, I go to that place that's that place. When I'm painting and I watch a drop of paint or I do this or I do that, I go to that other, I go to that same place, which is, which I guess it's somewhat meditative without sounding pretentious, and I meditate too, but it's not that. It's just you go to this other place where the radio, that you change the dial to, I believe, a more, either a higher frequency or a deeper frequency. And, and I'm working on a bunch of stuff. I, Eileen, I will mention that I have a new art storybook. I did one called The Elephant in the Room that was out about four years ago. I have a new one coming out this September called I Am Sorry. And it's, so it'll be here, it'll be in bookstores and some museums. In fact, my first book, when the Museum of Modern Art picked it up and I saw the list of who was buying it, and it said MoMA, and at first I thought this has to be a pizza company, MoMA. <laughs> why, 
would in New York the Museum of Modern Art buy my book? And they did, and they buy a lot of books that aren't known artists. And I, I think it was like winning the Academy Awards. So painting is very important to me. It's very much part of what I do. I wish you well with your painting. I'm and, more of a collage artist. Yeah, yeah okay, <laughs> whatever it is, and whatever the art is, I think that you can, you know, you can sew, you can do what, what you, anything that takes us away from all of this all the time, I think is such a great thing and a blessing. And mm -hmm. so I love doing it. All right, well, uh, everyone watch From on MGM. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You have been listening to the TV Campfire Podcast, hosted by ATX TV co-founders Emily Gibson and Caitlin McFarlane, and produced by Jennifer Morgan. This conversation was recorded live at ATX TV Festival Season 12 in Austin, Texas, between June 1st and 4th, 2023. For more information on the festival and becoming an ATX TV member, follow us at ATX Festival or visit atxfestival.com.